We're in, we're in this uh, study on the Christian in complete armor, and we're going to jump in and go with due pace uh, as we study this. Uh, I've been saying for weeks now that we are in spiritual warfare, that we battle the world, the flesh, and the devil, and where one begins, the other leaves off, we can't tell, but we're, we're, in, we're in combat. And that, that's why Paul says in Ephesians 6, finally be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of his might, and you're strong in the Lord by knowing who you are and putting on the full, complete, whole armor of God. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic forces over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the whole armor of God. And we began last week a discussion of the next to the last piece in the armament, that is uh, the helmet of salvation. First Thessalonians calls it the, the helmet of the hope of our salvation. And I said for our very limited study time, we're going to say that this relates to the way we think, especially in the assurance of our salvation, knowing that we are the Lord. The assurance of salvation is the certainty that we belong to the Lord and that we are His forever. And because of who Christ is in us, we have an eternal salvation awaiting us that no one can snatch us from the Father's hand. That it is a glorious truth that makes you want to sing and be happy and to live for Christ. Therefore, it's important to understand it. And it's my, my belief that we are expected to enjoy and commanded to experience the assurance of our salvation. That we are expected to enjoy it and commanded to experience it. Listen to Hebrews 6. Hebrews 6 is a very difficult passage. It's a hard passage. Just created an incredible discussion. But as he unpacks what it means in Hebrews chapter 6, the author talks about ground that drinks the rain. And if you produce good fruit, you're blessed. If you're not, you're cursed. And then he says this. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have for his name in serving the saints as you still do. Verse 10 or 11. And we desire each of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. So he says, you know, your, your earnestness is a sign that you belong to him, and it gives you an assurance of hope. So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So, so he says, don't be sluggish. Be earnest. And as you are not sluggish and you're earnest and you go forward, you have the full assurance of hope until the end, and you rejoice in that. And then in Hebrews 10. It says this in verse 22, let us hold fast the confession of our faith, of our hope, excuse me, without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. So we're commanded to enjoy it and expected to rejoice. And I said last week there are four types of people and they're all represented at various places in our different worship services, that there is the truth. God's the God of truth. There are some people who say, I I'm not a believer and I know it. 
I really, I'm just not interested in, in committing my life to Christ. I'm going to do it my own way. And then there are others who say, I'm a believer, top right. I trust in Christ, and I know it, and it's good. And then the lie from the pit of hell. Satan's the father of lies. Lie left quadrant. I'm not a believer, uh, but you think you are. There, there are people who go around saying, yeah, I did this, but it's, it's no big deal. It's part of my familial heritage. It's part of my geographical zip code. This is kind of who I am. I really don't care that much. That is a, that is a, and I, I would just plead with you. I, just, I, I plead with you to understand what Paul says to the church at Philippi when he says, work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. You don't take it for granted. Or what Peter says in 2 Peter 1 where he says, make your calling and your election sure. So you, 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 you press into the kingdom. You, 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 you go strong. And if there's a, a, a lackadaisical, uncaring spirit, you're not moved. It's a, it's a sign that you should question where you are in Christ. I don't know your heart, but God does. And then the other lie on the quadrant to the right, lower right, is you're a believer, but you don't know it. You're filled with doubts and Fears and frustrations. I, I, want, I want to speak to all four of these groups today. I'm going to do it as we blitz through this. Um, there's a hymn that I like very much. Um, it's written in 1880, so it's got 1880 language. But boy, the, 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 it's, it's so beautiful. It's called, I am his and he is mine. And it goes like this. Loved with everlasting love, taught by grace that love to know, precious Savior from above, thou hast taught me it is so. Oh, this full and perfect peace. Oh, this glory all divine. For I sing, I am his and he is mine. And he says, you know, to, to, to know that I am in Christ because of the eternal love of the Father fills me with unspeakable peace. Then the sex, second sentence says this. Um, um, earth above, excuse me, heaven above is softer green Earth below, or softer blue earth below is sweeter green. Something lives in every hue Christless eyes have never seen. And what the writer of the hymn says, you know, since I've come to know Christ, that he's the great creator king, and this is just not some type of giant cacophonic mistake, that the, the heavens above have a softer blue, and the earth below has a, has a sweeter green. And something lives in all of creation that Christless eyes cannot discern or praise or sing about. I know the one who made the heavens and the earth. I know the one who spoke them into being. And then the next sentence says, Things that once were wild alarms cannot now destroy my rest. So I, I used to, things used to just unhinge me. But now I realize that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I walk with Abba Father by the grace of Jesus. And I, that, that, to me, that's just a, a powerful statement of what it means to, to be assured that the Father loves us. I was reading this week some statements by some Hollywood people on marriage, and one beautiful uh, gifted woman, uh, you would know her name if I mentioned it, said this. She said, I think monogamy, which means a man and a woman being married together and only married together physically, I think monogamy is totally unrealistic. She said, we're just like every other animals. We have instincts that must be satisfied. I thought, Ooh, I don't be married to her. You know, 
She's just an instinctual creature. So maybe this week she thinks it's cool to be married to me, but next week all promises are off the board. And I thought, how sad. Then I kept reading. There's a, a Hollywood couple. You'd know their name. She's one of my favorite actors. And he, he said, um, when we were married, I did not say, forsaking all others, I will cling only unto you. I, I told her that if I ever am with another woman, uh, you'll be the first to know. Now that's integrity. <laughs> that's a man for you, you know. And, and she responded by saying this. She says, I agree with him, and I live the same way. We don't have an open marriage. We have a very mature marriage. That's balderdash. I went to a wedding last night. A young couple committed to Christ. They stood in front of God in assembly of witnesses, and they said, because of my reverence for Christ, I pledge to forsake all others and cling only to you until I die. See, that's a covenant. The others are just contracts for the moment. That's a covenant. You see, the, the Bible talks about God's covenant of grace with us. God says, I love my bride, the church, with an everlasting love. And I want you to know that. So, so the devil comes along and he attacks us in this area. And he says, says a few things. Let me just mention a few things he says. He says, you know, can you really be forgiven? Can you really be forgiven? Remember these things you did? Remember? Remember? And, and when, when the devil said, the devil hates the Bible. I'm preaching on that next week. The, the devil hates the Bible. And what you do is you, you just go, to, you just go, you start reading scripture and singing. And you go to Hebrews 10, it says, verse 19, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that is open for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. We don't, we don't enter the holy place because of our standing or our heritage or what we've done. It's by the blood of Christ alone, alone, alone. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Wash me, Savior, or I die. He keeps on going. He says, and since we have a, a great priest over the house of God, one great priest who fulfilled the priestly system by one act upon the cross, his name is Christ. Since we have that, we run to him. Therefore, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith and a heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What sprinkles your evil conscience? What washes you? The work of Christ. And so you say, you know, I, I, I rejoice in the goodness of the cross of Christ. It's only his work alone. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. The devil also says, you know, you don't measure up. Look at, fill in the blank. Look what they're doing. Look how they're living. You don't measure up. See, the problem with that for some of us, when we look at someone else, we see their highlight film and we see our practice film. Others of us see their practice film and see our highlight film because we're just easily deceived. Don't compare yourselves. Glory in the cross. When the devil says you don't measure up, I, I think it's Paul. You know, we, we were studying 2 Corinthians 
for a while, this section of 2 Corinthians in the middle, and uh, Paul is dealing with people who are super apostles. They came in and said, you know, Paul doesn't speak well. He's not attractive. He's long-winded. We're the new guys in town. We got it together. He doesn't. And so they, they criticized Paul and belittled him. And, and Paul writes this letter in response to that. And he says in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12, he says, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding or they're not wise. He says, you know, we don't compare ourselves. Come on. When you start doing that, you're just not wise. And then he says this three verses later, verse 17. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who's approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Just, just live your life in the presence of the glorious triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and, and glory in the cross. My favorite preacher of the last century is a man named Martin Lloyd-Jones. And Lloyd-Jones says this in his incredible book on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, when a man truly sees himself, he knows that nobody can say anything about him that is too bad. Amen. When a man truly sees his heart, he realizes nobody can say anything about him that's too bad. You know, you, some of us have been married for 20, 30, 40 years, 50 years, and our spouses have seen us at our worst. But even at my observably worst, the biggest sins are inward that Sarah has never seen. Never seen. What covers that? The blood of Jesus. So when Satan comes along and says, you're not as good as person X, I say, no, you're right. Thanks be to God that the cross covers that. Thanks be to God. The devil comes along and he, he says something like this. He says, uh, if, if they only knew, they only knew. I was thinking about this this week and I remember something happened when I was 21 years old. You, know, you forget things that come back long time ago. I became a Christ follower at age 19 and went on a beach project, but came home. And when, it's a, when your hometown is 1,300, word, word gets out. So I started telling my friends and adults, about, man, I've, something's happened in my life. I've come to know Christ. And I had bumper stickers on my car and you know, all that kind of stuff. And you just sell out. And anyway, so the, the, a church in the area said, can you be our summer youth worker between my junior and senior year? And I said, yeah, whatever that means, I'll do it. So I, I did it in a small church. And so I'm sitting there one day, and there's a lady who's older in the church, and she, there's a man who I've known all my life, and I did not know about him that he had been a lifelong man who struggled with alcohol abuse. And he would do fine, and then he would fall off the wagon and go into a period of, of darkness, and then he'd come out. And I, I didn't know that about him. But she came by the church and said, Somebody's got to help me. I can't find anybody. This guy we got to take him to the hospital. So I, I, I didn't, I've never done this before. So we got in her car and drove to her house, and she knocked on the door, and she called his name. She says, we're here. I've got somebody to help me. And I went back in the bedroom, and he'd been, he'd been 
you know, drunk for several days and stunk, and he was just out, kind of out of it. But he looked up and he saw me and he said this, please don't let him see me like this. You know, not, not Buster, not, not the young preacher guy. No, please, don't let him see me like this because I know him my whole life. And I loved and respected him, and he's dead now. I still love and respect his memory. He was a big man, so I picked him up and struggled. Just a little lady and me, and got him in the car, got him in the hospital, and rolled out the wheelchair. We put him in there, and he went in went through some detox program. But I've thought about that. You know, really, that, that is the, listen, that's the cry of our heart, isn't it? When we, when we look at people around us, and even to God, don't let him see me like this. You know the good news? God sees me at my worst, and he says, call me Father. Call me Abba Father because of the cross. I, I don't view you on your performance. I view you on the basis of the goodness of Christ, the work of Christ in your life. So don't, 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 don't let the devil beat, say, say, you know, just say, I, I glory in the greatness of Christ. So, so very quickly, I'm going to run through this. I got up here late because of the Lord's Supper, so don't start squirming, okay? Just hang in there with me. So it was a glorious worship too, by the way. So just this, these are some statements from the shorter catechism and the larger catechism, and they just, they just rock, and they just sing. So question 35 says, uh, what is sanctification? It says, it says, sanctification in part is a work of God's Holy Spirit in our life whereby we are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live for righteousness. So, so, so when, when you receive the Holy Spirit, see, when you receive the Holy Spirit and you trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit works in your life and he progressively changes you to be like Jesus. Okay, so that, that's, okay, next question. I love this one. What are the benefits which in this life accompany and flow from this? And the, it says the benefits are several. Number one, the assurance of salvation, assurance of God's love. Number two, peace of conscience. Number three, joy in the Holy Spirit. Four, increase of grace. Five, perseverance to the end. I want that for me and you. I want assurance, I want joy, I want peace, I want perseverance, I want the increase of grace in my life. And that happens as we glory in Christ and worship Christ and, and we, we're, we're, we just say, come Lord Jesus by the Holy Spirit. See, everything we do is out of gratitude for who Christ is in us. And then the larger, the confession of faith, this, this is so good, said, said what are good works? Part of the answer, what are good works? These good works done in obedience to God's commandments are the fruits and evidences of a true and lively faith. In other words, works don't save you, but they're a certain sign that you are saved. I remember years ago, I would, when I first started reading a lot, I would read the Puritans. They would talk about they're just mere professors, close quote, mere professors. And I thought, man, these guys don't like teachers. But they were talking about they merely profess faith in Christ. They're not truly redeemed. They're not truly converted. They just give lip service. They're mere professors. Now, how do you know you're not a mere professor? Well, you have, you have fruit. So, so they're, they're the fruits of the evidences of a true and lively faith, by them, listen, you, you manifest your thankfulness, 
You strengthen your assurance. You edify, build up the brothers. You make the gospel attractive. You stop the mouths of your critics, and you glorify God, whose workmanship you are. I want that. I want that for me and you. I I, I want to to be a thankful, grateful, gratitude-filled person. I want to strengthen my assurance and edify you, and I want to make the gospel beautiful by the way I live. And I want to stop the mouths of those who castigate the gospel. I want to glorify God. So this is something we should expect and enjoy and glory in. That's what I'm saying. So I'm going to go to 1 John. This very quickly. 1 John, uh, people say sometimes to me, I love the book of 1 John. I I do too. But 1 John, if if you're trying to sequentially diagram 1 John, you're going to have a very difficult time because John speaks in themes. See, that's why I love to preach through Paul's books because Paul just sequentially thinks like this. And and, 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 and to a degree, Peter, but, but John is, is kind of thematic. So one of the major themes of the book of 1 John is the assurance of our salvation. And John says in chapter 5, verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Now listen to me. If somebody comes to us, they'll say, you know, I'm not really sure that I am converted. I'm really not sure that I'm a believer. I'm not sure that I'm saved. And often we say something like this, and it's not a terrible thing to say, but it's less than the best. We'll say something like this. Do you remember a time when you were at a meeting or at a rally or with a friend and you trusted in Christ? Well, yeah. Yeah, I was fill in the blanks. Well, then, then you're a believer. Now, that, that's not bad, but it's less than the best because 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says to examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. And if you study church history years ago, an elder or a pastor, if they were, somebody said to them, yeah, I'm not sure I'm a believer, they'd say, well, let's, let's examine the evidences from God's Word of what it means to be in union with Jesus. Now, do you see these things in your life? And that was the assurance of salvation, not being able to remember something that happened last week or last decade or whenever. No, there's nothing wrong with remembering that. That's glorious. But I, I, I go to 1 John, and John has three tests to see if you're in faith. Test number one is correct belief about the person and work of Christ. Just a couple of verses. Chapter 1 says that that which we have seen and that which we touched. Christ had a real body. Chapter chapter 2 says, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Do you confess that Jesus is the Son of God? That He's eternally God? Chapter 4 says, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. There's a movement called the Docetic docetic movement that that said Jesus, God really can't touch flesh because he's pure. So Jesus appeared to have a body, but didn't have a real body. And and the early church thundered, no, we've touched his body. It was real blood. If you don't believe Jesus had a real body and he was a real sacrifice for sin, you have no hope in Christ. So, So do you believe that Jesus is truly God, truly man, and he took on flesh? Chapter 5, whoever 
who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So you step back and you say, you know, I believe that Jesus is eternally God who died on the cross for my sins with a real body. Therefore, I belong to him. And 2 Corinthians 4 talks about how God let the light shine out of darkness into our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And now I look at this and I ask myself this question. Do I really find Christ to be beautiful and glorious? Do I find Christ to be glorious? I, I was reading an article by a guy named Viktor Shilovsky, who died in 1984. He was an art critic from the Soviet Union. But he's, he said something like this, familiarity decreases perception. That is, familiarity makes us stop noticing things and makes us literally see less. Just yesterday, I was running across our bridges, and I thought, oh, what, what, what beauty. But if you're from somewhere else, you're just blown away. So familiarity decreases perception. He says this, art increases our perception, our ability to see something, whereas habitualization devours work, clothes, furniture, one's wife, and the fear of war. He said this, a woman may buy a new dress, but will soon grow tired of it. A new sofa at first dominates the room, but soon fades into the background. More tragically, marriages go bad when spouses take each other for granted. Habitualization. And I thought, you know, as you grow older in faith, you have that struggle like the church at Ephesus. You believe the right things. You confess the right things. You don't tolerate heresy. But he says, you've left your first love. And I said, God, just let me love you. Let me love you. Don't let me become a habitual Christian who says things without them rooting in my heart and giving joy to my spirit. And this week I was given this book by one of our PCA teachers. Our PCA is our school, Palmetto Christian Academy. It's a, our favorite Bible stories by a group of first graders with their art in it. And it's really, really good. Our favorite Bible stories, a lot of them Noah, Daniel in the lion's den, uh, there are a couple that struck me. This is, this is one. That's, that's the artwork. This creation. Adam and Eve down here. This is good theology. This is kind of a side road. Listen. In the beginning, there was nothing except God. Boy, that's good. Isn't that good? God said, let there be light. And he separated the water from the land. Then he made the sky. Then God made the sun, the moon, and the stars. And he made the sea creatures and wild animals. And he made Adam and Eve. Then he rested. <laughs> but this is, this, this is the one that I, I really want to see. A, three crosses. It says, just says Jesus. First, first grader, listen. Jesus died on the cross to wash away our sins. God hates sin, and there's a lot of sin in the world. After three days, he rose again. Then three women went to the tomb, and they were surprised the stone was gone. Then they leaped and jumped. <laughs> and I thought, you know, am I leaping and jumping? Am, am I... Am I rejoicing in the goodness of Christ? So, very quickly, number two is personal obedience. 
First John 1 says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' his son cleanses us. Or 1 John 2, and, and by this we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. See, the inclination of our heart is, I want to be pleasing to God. I want to walk in obedience, and, and disobedience and sin grieves my spirit. First John 2, the world has passed away, and also its lust or desires, but the one who does the will of God abides forever. He does the will of God. See, obedience is the fruit of our salvation. So you step back and you say, because of the finished work of Christ upon the cross and because he's worked in my life, I desire to be pleasing to God. I belong to him. And the third test in 1 John is the test of love. Love for the people of God, love for the church. 1 John 2 says, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. 1 John 3, we know that we've passed from death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. 1 John 4, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. It's so clear. So you step back and you say, you know, because Christ has saved me, because I'm in union with Christ, I, I, I love the brothers and sisters in Christ. I, I, I love the people of God. I, I, I weep when they weep. I rejoice when they rejoice. I, that's who, that God has made me that way. That's a sign of my salvation. I belong to Christ. So, so it's correct belief about Christ, correct belief about personal obedience, and love for God's people. And it's vitally important. And I, I, want, I want this for you. See, the helmet of the hope of our salvation, it lets us rejoice and be glad and confident and we go forward and we walk in faith and we live for the reality of Jesus and we have a, a heart for heaven and we, we're God's people. So that's what we need. Okay. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, I am... Uh, My, my, my heart is often drawn to people I've known through the years who, uh, who, who say that they know you as Savior and Lord, and yet there's no desire for fellowship. There's no desire for seemingly obedience. There's no living out the reality of Christ. And God, please help us to be people who plead with our contemporaries. Make your calling, your election sure. Don't just float. Don't, as the writer of Hebrews says, don't become uh, complacent, but be earnest. And I, Lord, I, I pray that we would not let the forces of darkness take our eyes off of the cross. I pray we would run from comparisons. I pray we would run from thinking that there's a sin that we could not be forgiven from. I pray that we would rejoice in the forgiveness of sins by the work of Christ and the fruit of that Forgiveness would be lives that say, make me useful in your hands, precious Father. Thank you that you know the worst about us that maybe nobody else knows.
and you still say, call me Abba Father by the cross. You still embrace us. That's just, that's so good. That's so good. So show us to live in such a way that, that, that our life will be the fruit and evidence of a lively faith. That we would adorn the gospel and bless our brothers and stop the mouths of the adversaries. Fill us with the joy of the Holy Spirit, I pray. Show us the greatness of Christ. In whose name I pray. Amen.